Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. Hey, everybody. It's Ben, half of your Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy podcasting duo. Uh, Kirk and I are doing something a little unusual here. This is actually Kirk's idea inspired by a podcast we both listen to uh, called Econ Talk, in which the host, uh, a uh, economics professor named Russ Roberts, did uh, an hour-long discussion with one of his colleagues about uh, literature and great books. Uh, and then Kirk got the idea from that of talking about sort of great sci-fi and fantasy books, both the classics, what are the things you have to read, and so, and you know, maybe other things that you haven't thought about or haven't heard of that are at least worth considering if you're a big reader. So, if you're not into books and literature, or if you're not into sci-fi and fantasy, um, you know, maybe you can skip this episode and and not miss much. Um, but if you are, uh, you know, we're gonna do about I don't know, 25, 30 minutes here, hopefully by the time I edit this down, of um, some content uh, talking about that. So this one is done at a mommy style. Kirk had sent me a recording he did, and then I'm going to follow on afterwards with um, a little short wrap up piece and mention a couple of, of my favorites as well. We're also going to, we have it already on the website. We have a collection of, of recommendations. Um, I will try and get all the stuff that Kirk and I mentioned here uh, linked and there as well. Uh, some of what we talk about, you can already find there, but we'll be updating that over the next uh, week or two with our recommendations. If you, good listener, also have recommendations of things that you think that uh, we should read, or maybe we have read and we just didn't mention, please let us know. You can drop us a line or uh, hit us up on Twitter and mention your favorites and uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode of Reader Recommendations. So anyway, here's Kirk. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm going to record a, an MMA episode here. This one is a little different. Um, I am, I'm doing this sort of spur of the moment, and it's a little bit from sort of feeling inspired. So for those of you who, you know... Um, may not be aware. Um, I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts, obviously, because of being involved uh, with the, uh, generating these. And because of that, you know, I encounter a bunch of them. One of the podcasts I've listened to for a, a fairly long time now, uh, thanks to, you know, Ben Siders, my co-host, is Econ Talk. And uh, Russ just did on Econ Talk a discussion of reading, and one of the things associated with that was great books. At the same time, uh, one of my coworkers uh, at our firm has recently been doing a lot of uh, reading and starting to read new things, you know, sort of learning about things, and has been asking a lot about what kind of science fiction should he read, uh, what would I suggest that he read, um, you know, sort of things like that that you know he's been asking me about and between the two of these things i've been starting to think a lot about what what do you read you know what should we read stuff like that so anyway what i'm going to do here i'm going to do a sort of a brief discussion of you know what what have i read in you know science fiction and fantasy i'm going to try to focus particularly in that area of things that, you know, if you're interested in it, you may not have read uh, some things that I think you potentially should. A few criteria I'm going to put around this. One is I'm obviously limited to things that I've read and things that I've encountered. I'm also going to very much avoid um, a lot of the classics. Uh, things that I would consider sort of anybody who has read anything in science fiction fantasy has probably read. But, you know, I'm going to mention them them briefly. What I want to focus on is things that have had some kind of an effect on me in the course of my life associated with science fiction fantasy uh, and in many fix other fiction as well and just things that may make sense as to people to be interested in reading. The other thing about this is, is most of my reading in this area actually occurred uh, sort of, I would say, more in my youth. When I was in high school, I read an enormous amount. I did uh, going 
into college as well. I do not read nearly the level of fiction anymore that I used to, but I would put a few um, sort of thing caveats on it that you know I come from that time period. So a lot of this may be things that are popular in the eighties, um, but it's things that you know I mentioned. I'd love to hear sort of some of our readers and everything else talk about as well and see if people had other similar effects in conjunction with books. I'm not going to try to put a number on this because I literally don't know how many I'm going to have or why I'm going to have them, but I am going to put a few in here just because I think uh, it's an intriguing idea. So I'm going to start with uh, a few of the, the major ones, and I think it's, it starts off with anybody who's done. You know, if you haven't read Tolkien, uh, you need to. <laughs> we talked about it in conjunction with this, uh, uh, this show repeatedly. You know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings are just so fundamental in conjunction with what is the development of fantasy canon. Um, I think you have to read them. I think it's one of those that if you're going to be anybody who's into um, you know fantasy or science fiction, I think you you need to have read the, those books just to get the basics of how fundamental they are and how much Tolkien, in some sense, creates the world um, that we're all used to. I'm going to also say I think some of the things you you need to have read is is Asimov, which I will point out I have not. Um, I actually tried to make it through some of Foundation uh, early when I was a kid and just couldn't do it. Uh, I discovered I didn't enjoy it. There are books that I'd like to turn to uh, and turn back to, just because of the fact that they're ones that I know I should read and I'm certain I would enjoy now, but I've never turned back to. So. Those are going to be out there, some of the fundamentals, but let me give you a few um, other things that I would encourage people to have read that affected me. And I'm going to tell you the reason why they affected me and and things that I encountered. Sometimes these are, are books that, you know, may or may be a little bit off the beaten path, but some of them may also be things that, you know, were hugely popular years ago and are not anymore. But I'm also going to try to, like I said, explain why to me there are things I'm going to suggest you read. So the first book I'm actually going to suggest when I, I jump back in time is a little bit of a classic. Um, it's out there and I'm going to suggest reading some Ray Bradbury. Um, I consider Ray Bradbury in, uh, to be sort of as fundamental as Asimov um, to the science fiction canon. I would suggest reading his short stories um, as opposed to reading uh, the novels. Fahrenheit 451 is great, uh, but I really enjoy the stories of Illustrated Man and Martian Chronicles much more. Um, I think Ray Bradbury is probably the master of the short story form, and particularly the short story form that I like. I include this as sort of fundamental for me because I do a little bit of writing sort of for fun on my own. I would have to say Ray Bradbury is by far the most influential person um, to me as as things that I have read um, and that I would like to write like. Um, I consider, again, a lot of what he writes to be sort of um, fundamental style. So I would include that as to one of the, the first things we have. Uh, a second one I would include that might be a little less well-known, but for those people who are around my age, it might be, uh, is I would suggest some Piers Anthony. Um, for those of you who may not know, Piers Anthony was enormously popular uh, when I was in school. He's most well-known for his very large series, the Zank series, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a somewhat comedic um, fantasy adventure set in the land of Xanth. Um, and, and that's what he's really well known for. I think his best work actually is The Incarnations of Immortality. Uh, for those of you who are, that's a seven book series 
but I would not necessarily recommend reading all of the books. Um, I read it as it was coming out. I actually read book seven as it came out, um, book six close to when it came out, the, the other ones I was catching up with. What I would suggest is reading um, primarily just the first two books of the series. I think they are by far the best. If you obviously get into the series, you can continue reading it. It does have an overarching sort of story that continues through all seven books. But the basics behind the incarnation of immortality is the idea of what we think of as a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of Greek gods or general concepts of individuals are real people that are forced into those positions. So book one is death, uh, and the book is entitled On a Pale Horse. Uh, book two, Bearing the Hourglass, is about time. Uh, you continue through fate, war, um, and a number of the other incarnations. The last two books are good and evil. Um, book six is probably my third favorite book in the series for love of evil, um, which is uh, the idea of the incarnation of evil. Um, and, and eternity, the final book, is the incarnation of good and the, the wrapping up of the series. The reason I loved these and they were so influential to me is the concept of thinking about what it would be like to be forced to be into these positions and the concept of how one becomes uh, these incarnations of things. So On a Pale Horse, which is the book about death, is about an individual who ends up becoming what we all think of as the Grim Reaper, uh, the physical incarnation of death, um, and what he has to do as that, how it influences him as well as how he, how he becomes it. And it's a fascinating sort of thought experiment into these. Are these incredibly well-written books? No, these are pulp fiction books um, and definitely were sort of, you know, in the 80s. But I think they really make you think, and they're books that have stuck with me for years. There are still times I reference On a Pale Horse, and I think about things uh, from On a Pale Horse. Uh, number two, Bearing the Hourglass is similar. It, it has a lot of it. I think he... After the first two, he gets a little tangled up into his bigger plot. Um, and so the books have brilliant points, but they also have places where they're, they're kind of iffy. Um, but that's something I would recommend. I'm going to jump time window, but one of the things I've noticed in conjunction with a lot of you know science fiction and fantasy I really enjoy is I like the concepts of science fiction's ability to do a what if and to play around uh, in conjunction with you know what if something is true um, and then move from there. So from Piers Anthony um, and the Incarnations of Immortality, I'm going to jump to another group of books that I think is um, very much an intriguing sort of concept of what if. And it's a type of fiction that I've read quite a bit more recently um, and modern-wise quite recently. So those are the the rethinking of history um, might be the, the best way to think about it. Um, it was sort of, I think, made popular initially by Sense and Sensibility and Zombies um, in that book that, again, you know, historical fiction and rewrote it, um, but also in some respects uh, was focused on the idea of, for lack of a better term, rewriting history. So the one book I would recommend in conjunction with um, doing that is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, um, <laughs> which it was a, an incredibly popular book a, a few years ago. Definitely, it's, it's probably more than a few years ago now. But the concept of it is, is a rewriting of the Civil War um, as essentially being based around a vampire hunting uh, story. It's an incredibly creative idea. It's the reason that I like it. Uh, there are a number of other books out there like that. I'm trying to search. There's another one out there, but it's called A Holy Night. Um, which is a rethinking of um, the biblical story of Jesus um, as being told from somebody who experiences it 
in sort of isn't supposed to be there. Um, I'm not going to give you any more uh, than that. But that's a uh, another very intriguing sort of rethinking story. So those are two I'm going to sort of pop out there um, of that idea of thinking about um, sort of what if and and what does it mean? Because to me, that has always been one of those really intriguing concepts of science fiction is that ability to look at something and say, let's rethink something with a few other alternatives uh, in it. And, you know, sort of taking certain things to be true. There are two other books I'm going to uh, pop in sort of that same kind of rethinking and possibility uh, type of discussions. The first one of which uh, is specific, and it's it's Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Um, while arguably not science fiction, um, it's set in present day, basically. It's a discussion of, you know... Uh, more of a treasure hunt sort of uh, almost like a mystery um, type of book, a little bit of suspense maybe um, as to what it is. Regardless of what you think of the premise of it, um, you know, and there is a lot of indication of the basic premise, the the, the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the idea that um, the, the Ark of the um, Holy Grail is not actually a cup. Um, it is a bloodline, um, which was, you know, popular for a while, um, due to the book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, um, that came out, which has since been disproven. I mean, that originally it was treated as a scientific research book that this was an indication. Uh, it's now been discovered that the underlying papers that it was based on were falsified, uh, not by the author, but, uh, by a, a purposeful, um, con man. And, uh, and so things like that. But the Da Vinci Code was based upon using that general premise um, and the idea of, of tracking down um, the end descendant of Jesus. Um, and that's, this is my second uh, uh, book in conjunction here. I mean, to do with retelling the stories of the Bible. Um, but the Da Vinci Code is a, a somewhat brilliantly written book in the idea, if you like the idea of sort of hidden mysteries um, and the idea that like there's stuff hiding in plain sight, it's a, got a bit of conspiracy theory to it for, um, for lack of a better uh, way of putting it, that you have um, stuff associated with, you know, going through and saying, hey, what if these things are true? Um, and, you know, what are you going to do? You know, what, what does that lead you to? And can we create an interesting story around that? Along the, the interesting things are true. Um, one of my favorite authors as a kid and one who, again, greatly affected me, both in the style of writing and in things that made me think is Dean Koontz. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of Dean Koontz. Dean Koontz and Stephen King, I would say, were the two primary horror writers uh, that existed. For me, you know, in the, I guess I would say, late, late 80s, early 90s, they were the two that everybody read. And you kind of had a, a preference usually for one or the other. I didn't read a lot of Stephen King. I, I would recommend reading Stephen King as well. Um, I read mostly Stephen King short stories. Again, I like the short story form. I always have. Uh, Stephen King's Mist, uh, The Mist, which is an okay movie, um, is a, um, a brilliant short story in my mind. Uh, most of the other stories that he's written uh, that are short stories are very, very good stories. A lot of works that they've made into movies that um, are mediocre at best. Many of them are very poor, I would say. But it gives you uh, some ideas what it is. But Dean Koontz, to me, was a favorite. Dean Koontz's novels always sort of gave you, and I said they saw the same general pattern for the most part, which was a person encounters something completely fantastical and horrific. Um, the first half of the movie 
um, is them dealing with this thing, having no idea what is going on, um, trying to understand it, trying to put sense around it. Somewhere near the middle of the book, they start to make sense um, of what is going on. It generally requires sort of acceptance of something to be true, um, which is a bit fantastical. You know, existence of a monster or something along those lines. Um, And then this last half of it is a resolution of how do we deal with this and what do we do about it. Um, and, you know, get into it. It's no less horrific, usually at the end. Um, but by now it has a little, makes a little more sense, um, as to what's going on. So you lose that sort of sense of, of loss. At the time I was a kid, they were always commented that there were two Dean Koontz books you needed to read if you read Dean Koontz. Uh, most of his books, by the way, have one word or two word title. Um, but the two you need to read, the first one was Midnight and the second one was Lightning. Um, Lightning is very different from the rest of his books. Um, Different premise, different type of story, similar type of layout. Um, I would also still to this day recommend those two books as both being, um, you know, excellent examples, uh, of what he has. The concept of Midnight's very interesting and what leads to the horror, um, in conjunction with Midnight is a very interesting idea. Lightning, like I said, is a sort of different style of novel, but one that's kind of brilliant, uh, in the way that it's thought out and written. So that's a, those are two I recommend. Personally, I would put in the two of my, my favorite Dean Koontz um, novels that are out there and that I really enjoyed. Uh, probably my favorite one of all of his is actually Servants of Twilight, uh, which is a chase novel. So it's a, a novel about people being you know pursued um, you know, as to uh, what you have with it. And then he wrote a number that were related to the idea of people who see things in the world that other people don't believe. Um, and uh, and know what it is. Potentially the best one of those is Twilight Eyes, um, which is also very good. But I would not necessarily recommend Twilight Eyes over, over Lightning or Midnight, um, as books that he has out there. He has very few bad books, if you like that style. Um, some are definitely better. Some, you know, do have... Um, a bit of sort of 80s horror, for lack of a better term, misogyny um, in them. And it's just sort of one of those things to potentially be aware of that that's out there um, and that that can be an issue um, in in what he has. But I think that, you know, those are ones that you potentially uh, would be interested in potentially reading and enjoying. So those are the kind of things that, again, sort of getting into those, you know, like what if alternatives, again, that you know, Dean Koontz gets into the idea of the, do you accept this premise? And from this, you have these interesting horror stories uh, that potentially arise uh, from it. Other books that I'd say you need to read if you haven't, um, if nothing else, just because of what they predict, um, and I'd say predictions from it, and the idea of, you know, where is the world going? Uh, yes, it's it's a great movie, um, and it's a horribly overused trope, and you can say whatever you like about the author, um, but Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park um, is a, a somewhat amazing novel. Um the Lost World, the sequel, is also quite good. Um, I think Jurassic Park, I remember taking it, having um, just learned in high school the basic premises of chaos theory. Um, uh, where I was actually taking a, a correspondence class via the internet and email, um, which for the most part didn't work because we just couldn't get you know cons- a stable enough internet connection to actually get the course materials um, on the basic premises of what became chaos theory, um, loosely as to how it's described. I uh, recommended reading Jurassic Park, and I remember reading Jurassic Park, and the concept of Jurassic Park being an extremely interesting concept um, of what happens, of the thought of what this means. It's fairly well laid out in the movie. 
Uh, if you've seen the movie, you're going to understand you're going to see Jurassic Park. There's a lot of great scenes in Jurassic Park that do not appear in the movie or that even appear in the later movies uh, because they moved a lot of scenes from the original Jurassic Park to it. I include that as a movie that was so influential on me because it was so influential on me. And I remember being so excited about the movie coming out because it had been such an influential movie um, to me. And and this this concept of just... Um, how do you deal with this? And, and again, what I like in respects about Jurassic Park is slowly watching the, the mistakes because that's really what the book is about is this, this concept of chaos theory taking over and small things becoming big things, um, and stuff like that as the, the iterations occur. So I think that's a, a great book to sort of think about and, and one that really contemplates, a little bit potentially ahead of its time. Uh, if you like that, one other to contemplate is Andromeda Strain, um, by my, also by Michael Crichton, having to do with the uh, spread of disease um, and, and the concept behind that. Uh, potentially interesting. Not, I would don't say it was as well written. I don't think anything he wrote was as well written as Jurassic Park. Um, but, you know, a lot of going sort of the same concept and intriguing ideas. One that I have to mention, which at this point in time I consider to almost be considered as sort of an essential piece of science fiction to me, is one that, that Ben, my uh, co-host, in conjunction with this, put off to me very recently as an adult, um, is um, Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Um, Snow Crash is a sort of brilliant look at what the internet would become before anybody had contemplated the internet, uh, really the metaverse. Um and it's definitely, you know, you can tell it's written in the 1980s. Uh, it has themes from the 1980s that many people will not necessarily get. Uh, the most notable of which is introduced in the beginning is the 30-minute pizza delivery. Um, but Snow Crash is a, a sort of brilliant look into the concept of, and again, I would say the metaverse most accurately, uh, before any of it really existed. Um, and that is just... It's a book that profoundly affected me as an adult, um, and it's a book that I think that that people should definitely contemplate, um, you know, reading uh, going forward. There's a few others, and again, I'm going to pop in a few that that just to me had uh, certain effects in conjunction with my life. Um, as much as it is, while I would not say they are great books, if you are a Star Wars fan, you need to have read the Zon trilogy. Um, so the, the Zahn trilogy is the Timothy Zahn trilogy of novels written to be essentially the last three movies following uh, Return of the Jedi. They are not canon. Um, uh, my understanding is that Disney has said they will not be canon, but they will do nothing to contradict them. So that basically it's, you know, yes, they're not official, but they are also not refuted by anything that they will release. So... Um, I believe it's commonly called the Dark Force uh, Trilogy as to what it is. Volume 1 is Heir to the Empire. Um, it is the, like I said, the sort of story of what happens um, after Return of the Jedi. For those of you who have seen it, I'm watching Rebels currently, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is a star of the Dark Force Trilogy, of the, uh, the Heir to the Empire um, in the following um, series. The... Uh, he actually originally appeared in that and then was added to Rebels uh, with it where Grand Admiral Thrawn came from. But it gives you a lot of the details in conjunction with Grand Admiral Thrawn. There's a lot of sort of real question, again, as to, you know, 
how good are they, how well they're written. They may not be that well written, but the, the concept of what they introduce is really cool. And also the idea of it surprisingly gives certain unconnected events in Star Wars a coherent plot, which is another thing I always enjoy. Um, I enjoy science fiction that kind of looks back and says, by the way, those things actually did connect. Um, even though when they were written, they had no intention of connecting. Um, I do enjoy that. Surprisingly recently, I read uh, – I began reading – I read part of it previously, but I began reading again Harry Potter. Uh, sorry, but it, you kind of have to include Harry Potter. Um, modern canon, it's something you just have to know. Um, and, and those kind of – those books need to be included. I'm going to add one right at the end. Um, and it is part of this as I'm ending this, not because I'm necessarily out of things that I could discuss, but because I don't want to go too long uh, in discussion of these. And if people like this, uh, let me know. Uh, and I can post others. I would love to also get you know recommendations from books uh, from people that they would recommend that I read. But for those of you who know, I am a, a large f- uh, fan of the Warhammer uh, universe. Uh, so Games Workshop's uh, gaming system for Warhammer 40,000. And Warhammer 40,000 has Black Library, which produces an enormous amount of fiction set in their universes. Um, by far the most well-known is the Horus Heresy series. Um, the Horus Heresy series is 30 change books. Um, I'm not all the way through it. I made up a dent in it. Um, I'm more than two-thirds of the way, but I have not made it all the way. Many of the books are brilliant if you enjoy the worlds. But the one that I have to recommend... Um, just heartily to anybody who wants to read anything set in the Warhammer 40k universe, um, and I would recommend to quite frankly anybody as well, even if you're not into the universe, is the Eisenhorn trilogy. Um, the Eisenhorn trilogy, Eisenhorn is the story of an inquisitor. Uh, it approaches a lot of the basic concepts. Uh, it's by Dan Abnett, uh, who I, who is a, a very good writer, a very good science fiction writer, uh, generally. But it, it gives you a lot of the 40K concepts. Eisenhorn is an Inquisitor, um, and it's, it's his journey. Uh, it's a three-book series, but at this point in time, it's common to see sort of one large uh, omnibus volume um, you know, produced of the Eisenhorn trilogy. Uh, the Eisenhorn trilogy is the reason I read 40K fiction. I got involved in conjunction with reading it early on. I was recommended it. It's an extremely good story. Um, that's kind of the thing with it. It's just an extremely interesting story. As much as I enjoy the Eisenhorn trilogy, I actually think the Ravenor trilogy, which is the sequel to Eisenhorn, the trilogy sequel to Eisenhorn, is actually a better series of books. Uh, but you kind of need to have read Eisenhorn to understand Ravenor. <laughs> Ravenor is an apprentice of Eisenhorn, um, and it's his trilogy is the uh, the later piece. I think he's a it's a, a again a little bit better of a story, but a bit better written. But I'm going to put those in as as things that you know if you're interested in science fiction. Obviously, if you have any interest in the 40k universe if you've read anything horse heresy books or otherwise and you haven't read those uh, you should read those um, because they're they're probably some of the best written and sort of most compelling stories um, you know in that universe so anyway I'm going to drop this um, this has been just sort of an intriguing thing for me there's a ton of other books I'd hope to mention uh, in the course of this that I haven't even gotten into like I said if people are interested in this uh, we can talk about more I'd love to get comments back um of people that sort of say, hey, here's something you should read. Uh, again, I'd love to see focuses not on um, necessarily the, the the true classics. I mean, I know I should have read Dune. Um, we commented about that, you know, in a prior episode. I, I tried to read it. I never made it through it. Um, you know, I need to have read Asimov. Like, these are books I know I need to have read. But I'd love to find out about things that you would consider sort of essential pieces of science fiction um, because of their quality or pieces that affected uh, one of our listeners in some way that you think would be fun things for me to read. Um, 
I can't guarantee I'll get to them, um, but there are things that I would like to uh, read. I would also like to be doing a little more reading than I am. I hope to be doing so once I'm uh, starting to to travel more because I tend to read on airplanes as uh, as other things that are out there. So anyway, feel free to let me know uh, what it is. I will go ahead and end this. And like I said, if people like this, I may do another one of these in the future. I will talk to you guys soon. Okay, everybody. Uh, that was Kirk's uh, book summary. I was actually inspired by Kirk's summary and thought I would uh, throw in a few of my own. Some of these may overlap with things that Kirk suggested. Like him, I'm going to kind of list off some classics that I think if you're a fan of the sci-fi and slash or fantasy genres that you should probably uh, read or have read at some point. Uh, then I'll go into some that you that are you know maybe a little uh, less well-known. So the classics, of course, Tolkien. Uh, I know Tolkien's kind of an acquired taste. I actually didn't read Lord of the Rings until after uh, Peter Jackson's movies came out. And I, I think I actually appreciated the books more having seen the movies and kind of understanding the, the structure of the world better. So if you've tried to read Tolkien and failed, particularly if it was before you saw the movies, maybe give it another shot. I, I tried to read it in high school and just could not get into it. But uh, after the, seeing the films, I, I really got captured by that world. So Lord of the Rings obviously is up there. Um, as Kirk said, Asimov, the Foundation of Robots books. I read, <laughs> I read all of that on the beach during vacation one week. Kind of a whirlwind. So I don't actually remember it that well, but I do remember liking it very much, especially the uh, the older Foundation books. So definitely recommend that one. Uh, a few more that are you know maybe, maybe not considered fantasy or sci-fi. I'm just going to list off Brave New World, one of my all-time favorite novels, uh, 1984, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, The Handmaid's Tale, throwing uh, Harry Potter also, uh, at least the first book I thought was good, Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, uh, The Princess Bride, and uh, you could make an argument for some sort of classic Stephen King novels, notably The Gunslinger series. Series, uh, and the stand as being more in the realm of sci-fi or fantasy than um, you know than the traditional horror genre that he does. I have not read uh, the Game of Thrones, any of those books, so I can't speak to those. Although I did watch the series. And then as for my sort of other suggestions, things that are, are maybe less well known, uh, I'm going to start with the Man in the High Castle. Um, that's uh, Philip K. Dick, which is not you know not exactly obscure, but it's one of those uh, that there, you know there's a TV show out that is not does not really track the it tracks the setting pretty well, but it does not track uh, the actual narrative completely. Um, the, the concept is that the, the Allies lost World War II, and Eastern United States is uh, controlled by Nazi Germany, and the Western United States is controlled by Imperial Japan, and the Americans are uh, second-class citizens in that society. It's a really, really interesting premise, and the visuals of seeing the Third Reich and uh, Imperial Japan symbolism in these American locales is striking. So it's worth checking out. Uh, the, the book is very short. I read the whole thing in, in a day and a half. Uh, not even. So that one's worth it. Another one I want to recommend, which is not really sci-fi or fantasy completely either, uh, is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It is uh, one of my all-time favorite modern novels. It's about two uh, Jewish kids from uh, one of them is escapes Nazi Germany after World War II, and they start a comic book company. That's the basic plot. Uh, but it really is sort of a, it turns into a classic American novel and uh, ultimately tackles a, a lot of interesting issues, but in a very entertaining way. And the author has a knack for kind of derailing his own narrative and going off script in a direction you would have never guessed. So that that was also a really delightful to be surprised by a book that doesn't happen very often. Another one I'd suggest is The Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester. This is a also a quick read 
read. It's a short novel. It's basically the Count of Monte Cristo in space, but it's told very, uh, very quickly, very energetically. And it's one of those books where by the time you get done reading it, you realize that a bunch of stuff has happened and you didn't really you thought you knew what was going on, but you didn't actually, and it all makes more sense at the end. So I uh, really enjoyed that one, and it's also a much older book. I want to say he published that in maybe the 40s, 50s. It's really an older book, and he didn't write a whole lot, actually. He only had three or four novels, I think, that he released. Uh, so that was a fast read and, and very good. Kirk mentioned in his section that one of our colleagues has begun to read more science fiction. Uh, that colleague also got me to read The Three-Body Problem, which is the first in a trilogy of books by a Chinese author whose name I cannot pronounce pronounce and absolutely will butcher if I try, so I won't bother. Um, but it is excellent. It is one of the best science fiction books I've read in the last 10 years. Highly recommend that one. It's especially interesting to see science fiction told from the point of view of uh, China. The book begins in the Cultural Revolution and ends in the modern era. So to see the transformation of, of Chinese society during that time period written from the point of view of people inside China is, is really interesting. And then to layer on the science fiction on top of that, uh, it's just all very, very well done. The story is very cohesive. Cohesive, uh, very memorable characters. There's a police captain that uh, is absolutely fabulous. Um, and also the beginning of the book has a lot of uh, sort of mystery elements. And actually reading the first maybe half of the book really reminded me of what it was like to watch the first season of Lost, where you have no idea what's going on, but it's extremely intriguing and you just so badly want to know more. So uh, The Three-Body Problem is a great place to start. I have not read the other books in that trilogy yet, but do highly recommend that one as well. And the last one I want to mention is a book series that Kirk actually introduced me to, although I don't think I don't know that he's read any of it, but it's a series called The Dandelion Dynasty by Ken Liu. It is set in sort of a, a fantasy uh, feudal China, I think. Uh, the first book is called The Grace of Kings, and Kirk described it to me once as Game of Thrones in Asia. Uh, that's very accurate. Um, it is extremely well-written, extremely interesting. Um, it, is, it is narratively quick. Uh, Leo does not get bogged down in unnecessary details, um, but he does manage to paint very interesting, colorful characters and to interweave their stories in a very believable way, uh, in, in a very compelling way that uh, reminds me a lot of the experience of watching Game of Thrones, except uh, in writing. So if you're interested at all in sort of the traditional big fantasy epic and you like to get out of feudal <laughs> Europe and into some other setting, the Dandelion Dynasty uh, first book, Grace of Kings, it is long. I'm going to warn you, you need to be prepared to commit, but uh, it, it's excellent. I actually own um, all three of the books. I think there's three that are published and a fourth one coming out or maybe the fourth one's out now. Uh, I've only read the first, but it's it's terrific and I'm slowly working my way through, uh, through that series as well. And then finally, this is maybe more in the realm of, of classics, but I'm going to mention... Uh, um, the Wheel of Time, if I didn't mention it already. I actually only read the first book and part of the second in that series, and I just got bogged down in it and, and just didn't really like it that much. But I want to mention it because it's a series that um, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly my age, really loved growing up. And I also want to mention it because Kirk and I have very different opinions about the TV series that's out now. I've only seen the first episode. I was not impressed. Uh, and I mentioned that on our podcast uh, feed on Twitter, which provoked a couple of irate <laughs> responses 
from some of you. Um, but uh, Kirk has seen more of it than me. He's encouraged me to stick with it. So I'm going to watch uh, the rest of season one of the Wheel of Time series. And then he and I will probably come back uh, and do an episode talking about that as well at some point. So just want to mention that here, sort of a bridge to that future podcast episode that we will uh, undoubtedly do about the Wheel of Time TV series. Okay, so I think that's it for this one. Uh, if you stuck with us, I appreciate it. I know this is a little bit of an unusual topic. We are doing what we can to continue to get content produced and out to you, and this is just part of that effort. So hopefully you enjoyed this, uh, and if not, you probably didn't wait this long, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, that's all for this time. We'll see you next time. Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri.